Welcome to the Needham Say More podcast. This is episode nine. Uh, we're going to divert a little bit from our usual topics of like town laws and policies and town meeting and all that. Uh, I'm Aaron, let's start out by introducing ourselves. I'm Aaron Pressman. And I am Doug Fox. Thanks so much for joining us for the number nine. I jumped the gun a little bit. So, but what we're going to discuss is an episode of the Netflix documentary, Dirty Money, uh, called Guardians Inc., which I think, uh, you know, very unfortunately, if you're a fan of Needham, uh, featured prominently a uh, story about a senior citizen in Needham who feels that he has been terribly abused, who uh, we can get into a little bit. But Doug, what first made you, what first brought this to your attention? Why do you think we should do this as the podcast? Yeah, so I mean, I'll tell you, it first came to my attention, not knowing about what had happened to this poor individual, but I don't know if you remember, there was a Needham Times article when the residents complained about how these uh, properties weren't being taken care of. And I actually remember on the Needham Facebook page, there was a discussion about that. And then I remember that there was, someone had posted, I don't know whether it was an article or whatnot, that it had been fixed up, the properties had been cleaned up or whatever, but like, anyways, the neighbors were fine and then never heard another word about it. And then- well, So, all right, let's, get, let's yeah. get specific. So this is on Riverside Terrace, which is kind of off Highland Ave, over on the side of 128 near the Heights. Yeah. Part of, part of Needham, most people never see. There's a little sports field there that you might have had some sports games at. But other than that, you know, you turn, what is it, Cookies by Design, you turn right there and you head down a street. And there's actually a really nice little neighborhood over there, you know, adjacent to the industrial park that uh, supposedly, so this, this indiv individual owned uh, his primary residence and owned six other houses all in that area and supposedly had let them fall in disrepair. Um, right. So this is, an, this is kind of one of those like amazing, um, which media bubble do you live in? Or, you know, there's always more to a story maybe than the first story you read. So the Needham Times writes a story about how on Riverside Terrace, there's this guy living there with five houses which are empty and are very run down, trash is collecting, people in the neighborhood have been complaining to town. And the article is very positive. The article is like, finally, the town through the attorney general was able to do something and the houses are being sold. And in this, uh, you know, in this, in this version of the story, uh, the houses are sold, torn down, and beautiful new uh, duplexes are built there, and the residents in the neighborhood are very happy, period, end of story, Needham Times, very happy, we're out, that's it. Now, if you watch the Netflix documentary, there's a very, very different version of the story, which is that the elderly man, I think he's about 80, is that right, who owned these properties, uh, had lived there his entire life, and through the process that the town uh, seems to have initiated with the attorney general, he was declared not fit to uh, retain the capacity. He was, he was declared incapacitated to have decision-making authority over his own, not only his own property, but his own uh, legal representation, his own medical representation, uh, where he lived and everything. So, uh, do, do you want to tell the Netflix uh, version of what happened? Well, actually, I thought, it'd be, I thought it'd be helpful to just talk about guardianship because it's not yeah. really something that I thought about much before. So it basically gives the state's power uh, when someone is determined to be incapacitated, unable to make decisions, the best decisions for themselves or their estate, to uh, uh, put someone as the guardian. And it can be just finances, uh, which is called a conservatorship. Uh, but when someone gets one full guardianship, it is basically transferring that individual civil rights, all of their ability to make decisions on their own um, are now made by the guardians. Now, most often that's a family member 
And if any of you ever cared for an elderly um, family member, they do sometimes reach a point where they can't make decisions for themselves anymore. And hopefully there's been a power attorney established and it ha happens in a good way, but a lot of times that isn't the case and they resist it. So this, this was put in place to enable a son or grandson or whoever to step in and make sure the right things are done for them. Um, and if there is no family member, then a professional or company can be appointed. Uh, the statistics say that um, an estimated 1.3 million are under guardianship in the United States. 85% uh, of them are over 65, so there's guardianship of children or other individuals as well. Uh, and experts will say that most of those guardians perform very conscientiously, uh, but because of how the system is set up, it's very prone to abuse. Uh, and there was a 2010 federal report that identified hundreds of allegations of abuse um, where, and actually the majority were, were by family members, uh, but the biggest headlines come for professional guardians, uh, and there was a major bust in New Mexico a number of years ago when the, the local paper did a big investigation that a bunch of companies were really bilking people out of their money and, and doing very dishonest things. Um, and that leads us to this individual situation that when he was receiving letters um, that they were threatening to, you know, to take over his property or whatnot, he, according to the Dirty Money episode, went to Needham Bank to who he had his mortgage with and asked them for help. And they referred him to an attorney, uh, Russell and Associates, and, a, and an individual by the name of Peter Russell, uh, who worked with him. He uh, established a retainer with him, a $6,000 a month retainer to help him. Uh, and at some point in that process, uh, the, this, Mr. Sivanovich signed over power of attorney, which he claims he did unknowingly to this attorney. And then this attorney ended up filing to have him declared, you know, incapable of taking care of himself. And actually this attorney got appointed, or he appointed someone as the guardian, but the attorney was representing all these people. So, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting thing because uh, you're a, this person's estate is paying all these people that are fighting him as he's trying to get out from under guardianship. And there's very big fees in it attorneys and the guardians and, and all these. So it's um, when they're saying it's prone for abuse, there's a lot of money to be made here if people aren't doing the right thing. Um, and once again, this is all alleged. Um, the uh, attorney did not, um, did not speak at all, refused to speak to Netflix. That does not mean that person's guilty. I think also, Doug, it's really important to point out that neither you nor I have, uh, you know, investigated this or gone and read yep. court filings or anything. You know, we have literally seen it on TV and seen some articles about it. So we're offering our opinions yes. about the situation. We're certainly not um, trying to represent that we have figured out, as usual on this podcast, we have not figured out, uh, you know, the actual necessarily deepest truth. We're, we're giving our opinions about uh, the situation as we've seen it, it reflected in the press and in this documentary. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, my reaction to it is I always know there's another side of the story, um, as there is in all of these. Um, but I really hope someone is investigating this. I actually, you know, I, I said at the end of the podcast last week, I reached out to our, one of our state senators, Becca Rausch, and said, you know, please look into this. Please make sure someone's looking into this because it just sounds really bad. And I hope it's, I hope it's not as bad as it sounds. And the fact that I know now that this is a major problem across the country, that there's been uh, hearings in Congress and Senate trying to drive better standards into guardianship and conservatorship. Uh, in fact, there was, a, there was a bunch of recommendations that came out of the Senate at the end of 2018 
to revamp this across all the states, and I think it it never passed further than that. Uh, but there are major problems, and I like to think Massachusetts is is ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. Um, but this hints that maybe we're not, and there's some reforms we could make to improve the system. Well, I think, you know, throughout history, the way that a lot of great social change and justice comes about is because, uh, you know, muckraking journalists dig into things yes. and show evidence of abuse. And also, you know, on a larger scale, I think in our country right now, where the amount of wealth that's being held by older and older people and the number of older people is just booming, and there's all kinds of uh, serious, serious uh, fraud and scams and mis uh, abuse of the elderly that we really need to get more on top of. And it seems like this is yet one more example or one more instance where uh, laws which were set up for certain purposes, you know, I think clearly, as you alluded to earlier, there are cases where people do become mentally incapacitated and do need help, uh, you know, to be stopped, whether it's to stop driving or stop spending money on things or whatever. And often case uh, that opens the door, not, I don't, shouldn't say often, we don't really know, but in some many instances, there's, the system is not, does not have enough protections included to protect uh, elderly people who either are not incapacitated or who, even if they are incapacitated, are put with a series of professionals who are, uh, improperly siphoning off all their assets. Yeah, and, and I mean, and this, this individual, so John Savanovich, he grew up in Needham, he graduated Needham High School, he's never married, had no kids, he lived in the home he grew up with, with his mom, he was caring for his elder mom, and supposedly when she passed, he went into depression, and that's when the properties fell into disrepair, and it just, this spiraling of, really, he considered these six properties his investment for the rest of his life, and I mean, in a, in a matter of months, he lost his ability to take care. He lost the ability to manage his own situation. All of those properties were sold and rebuilt, including his childhood home with all of his belongings in it. He didn't get any of the photos or anything that was in there. It was just mowed down. It's gone. And a big duplex was built. And just for example, that, you know, there was a lot of money that was made here. That house was sold for 485000 and the duplex that was built there sold for 1.6 million. So there were a lot of people that made money on it. Does not mean that anything you know inappropriate was done there, but you could just see how abuse could be there and how a lot of people could profit and maybe not be looking out for the best interests of the senior or in this case, uh, Mr. Savanovich. Um, I think one, you know, one, one area where our legal system often falls down is when people are unable to advocate for themselves. You know, whether it's the Supreme Court decades ago having to point out that everyone has a right to counsel, even if they're indigent. Um, or in this case, I mean, this man, he's totally by himself. He has no family. The other example uh, that was in the Netflix documentary was a man in Texas who, was, who lost his business. And similarly, he was completely estranged from his blood relatives and was living with people who were not related to him and not, had, no, had no true legal relationship with him, not, were not married to him or anything. And in those situations, this seems to be sort of like one of those cracks where the legal system, these people don't have someone who, has, who truly has the person's necessarily best interest at heart, who doesn't you know, love them or know them for decades, is not their child or parent. Uh, who, who will speak for those people? Who will speak for those voiceless people? Yeah. Maybe they don't understand the system well. And, and, and in this case, he's fighting to get 
you know, to be declared that he can handle himself or in some other capacity with someone else's help. And supposedly once you have been declared incapacitated or unable to take care of yourself, it's really, really hard to fight that. And, um, you know, he's, he had people that he had doctors that his estate was paying who were pushing, you know, antipsychotic drugs on him. You know, and I went through this with my father where, you know, when you start taking those whether they're helping you or not, they, they definitely and, you know, make you uh, more incapacitated than before. And he's now off all those with the help of a primary care. He seemed, at least in the video, once again, it can be edited, but he seemed you know, pretty clear you know, on his situation and what happened to him. And you know, he, his estate is paying these, these attorneys and these guardians in his fight against himself. Um, and he basically gets a, you know, a very small stipend and they pay for his um, assisted living facility that he's, you know, he's not allowed to leave from. Um, and it just, it just seems like an awful situation. So um, the, uh, the, so there's a gentleman named Sam Sugar who created a group called Americans Against Abuse of Probate Guardianship. And then the act that was pushed through Senate, although it did not pass, was called the Uniform Guardianship, Conservatorship, and Other Protective Arrangement Act, nice long acronym, UGCOPAA. Uh, but it established kind of some no-brainer things. I don't know, from Massachusetts, why would we not do this? So it basically established limited grounds for appointment of a guardian. You know, So it has to meet this criteria, and if it doesn't meet this criteria, it can't happen. Um, it says that appointments are prohibited if person's needs could be met with, with less restrictive means, including supported decision. So just think of the example of Mr. Savanovich. Could he have got a home health aid in his home to help him live at his home? Would that have been more what he would have wanted? Um, and I think that's the, the third thing is really the important one is clear decision-making standards for appointees. They're supposed to make the decision the adult would if they were able. And you know, hearing his story where these properties and this childhood home were so important to him, it's hard for him to picture choosing to mow down all of them and build a bunch of new houses there when he didn't really need all that money at the time. You know, even if he needed some, there could have been a portion of it that was sold. Um, and um, best interest only if the wishes aren't known. Um, and then also clear path for restoration of rights, which is what he's seeking right now which is very, very challenging. And it just feels like that's something that, you know, I would hope that if I'm in that situation, um, that, that there would be the kind of that due process put in place. Yeah, I think um, it's almost like there's a pendulum, you know, so things happen where, um, for example, uh, people with mental illness commit a crime and there's an investigation in Massachusetts. Why was this person not being treated with drugs. Well, they refuse the drugs. You know, so um, laws are created for sort of for one situation or one reason. Uh, and maybe they, maybe I don't, I'm not an expert on this. They don't, but I would assume, you know, it sort of addresses those situations of like uh, people, people who do need uh, antipsychotic drugs, not getting them and yep. becoming violent criminals. Uh, but then you have this other side and especially, you know, the world is made up of good and bad people. And there's people out there looking for ways to abuse elders, as we, as I said earlier, you know, this is this huge pot of money that is out there, and people who are unscrupulous or worse uh, are looking to take advantage of them. So it definitely seems like some sort of uh, reevaluation process uh, needs to happen. Now, another aspect of this that I find fascinating, maybe as a person in the media, and I don't know, I'm interested, Doug, in your reaction, 
sometimes the, the muckraking, the people who are bringing these stories to light are far out of mainstream media. So this is not something we read about in the Boston Globe. The, the, the sole news reports that I have found about this man's situation, besides this one Needham Times yeah. article we're talking about, is in this very far right wing uh, newspaper that, you know, tracks and conspiracy theories. And, very sketchy. Yeah. And, 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 and the lawyer who is on Netflix uh, speaking on me, who Mr. Savanovich has tried to hire and who's speaking on behalf of him and who's gone to court for him. Also, if you look at her Twitter feed, same thing. You know, she thinks Bill Gates is out to get us. Uh, tracking in other kinds of conspiracy theories, uh, very vocal against uh, the lockdown for um, coronavirus. So it's it's an interesting thing. That, that doesn't mean they're wrong about this particular case, even if I disagree with their politics or they're wrong about other things. Sometimes people on the margins of society and people who are the voiceless people, there's no one to speak for them. And the people who speak for them are in some way or another uh, out of the mainstream. Yeah. Well, and Mel Gibson in conspiracy theory, he was definitely crazy and he turned out to be right about the one thing in that. So it can happen, but it's, it's hard. I mean, and, and it, it uh, you know, I know I, you work in the press. It's so scary how the press is getting smaller and weaker right now because their business model, I mean, we need them more than ever, you know? I mean, I, uh, I don't know if the local papers are going to survive this right now. Uh, right. Well, like, here's an example that's absolutely shocking to me. So Netflix, which is huge, runs this documentary, which is huge. And, and the most prominent example, the lead example, the town, there's like all these, all this B-roll video of like our town, our center, our yes. roads, yep. you know, lots of identifiable Needham in it. The Needham paper doesn't write anything about this or ever yep. mention this. The Boston Globe doesn't mention this anywhere. Like, I consider yeah. myself, you know, a fairly connected and well-read person, and I had never heard of this until you brought it up to me. And yeah. that just seems like such a myth. Yeah, so um, uh, the uh, person who was the editor of the paper at the time when, you know, when this went down, Stefan Geller, um, is no longer there. Uh, I... You've heard me say several times, I feel Trevor is very aggressive on really investigating things. He's, he's scooped some things that I think the town wasn't really fond of recently. Uh, I would hope he's looking into this. And knowing him, he probably is. Um, you know, and he, you know, as, as a good reporter, will collect lots of evidence until he really has, has a case to be made. But I mean, why wouldn't the Boston Globe report on this, right? I mean, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, if nothing else, to prove it wrong, right? You know, like that's that's what people would want. Also, the um, Needham Bank, it was implied in there that Needham Bank or uh, uh, someone who worked at Needham Bank who referred to this attorney might have done something or might have benefited from this. I mean, I, I'd love a statement from Needham Bank on this, right? I mean, I would hope they investigated this themselves. I'm a Needham Bank customer. I'm a big fan of Needham Bank, but the silence on this kind of bothers me. Um, and I also would hope that attorney Russell and associates would release a statement, you know, with, I understand not wanting to be on video with the Netflix people, but I would hope he'd, he'd release a statement. I know he's also a, a Needham high grad. He's actually someone that I went to high school with. Um, so, you know, his side of the story, as much as he's able to come out with it, you know, I, th I think he should do that as well. Yeah. Again, uh, this is a matter kind of like the, the murder at the Needham housing authority. I mean, there is not enough local journalism going on yeah, because the economic model has sort of uh, been broken for a while now. And 
it would certainly benefit. Here we are, just in Needham, this one small town of 30,000 people outside Boston, you know, desperate for more investigation and more coverage yeah. of these kind of issues. Yeah, and honestly, there's, we could see a point in the next couple of years where we have no local paper anymore. I mean, I, don't, I think the globe will survive, but I don't know if Needham Times and Hometown Weekly are going to survive. Like, those papers made a lot of their money off classifieds with Craigslist basically put out of the way. And then, you know, there's print advertising, a lot of it from local small businesses, which are hurting right now, you know, hurting really bad. All the people that normally would run those ads. Uh, it, I don't, you know, and a lot of those companies have been bought up by hedge funds and private equity firms, which are definitely more profit driven than news driven. And it's, it's not a good formula for those organizations surviving when I think we really probably need it more than ever. So it's, it's very sad. I know a lot of times people complain, people complain about the papers. I, I, I feel they complain on both sides. There's, there are people who complain that they get a paper thrown at the end of their driveway that they don't want and they, you know, that they don't request it and that it's wasting paper. And then there are people who complain that they can't get their news stories run in it. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there's on all sides of it, um, but I think it's really important, and I love the work Trevor's doing right now. Even if I know it's not popular with everybody, I think it's so important to have somebody kind of digging in on 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 stories uh, that we all benefit from. So, right, the Needham Times is owned by a very large company, which has been sold a couple of times, and which is currently owned by private equity. Yeah. And they have a lot. There's a lot of debt involved, and it's a situation where you know maybe a hometown paper in the 1950s or the 1850s was sort of a self-sufficient thing that could you know, good times and bad, it would kind of grind along. Whereas once it's put into these big conglomerates and there's a lot of debt involved, bankruptcy is only, you know, one or two bad quarters away the way they run these companies. And so I definitely think there is a risk that if this recession is very bad, and especially local businesses that do the advertising, uh, that you could see uh, this whole, you know, they own hundreds and hundreds of local papers around the country. Uh, And Needham's one of the smaller ones. I I think people have been complaining that there's not much sports coverage in the paper anymore. And that's because there's no sports reporter in Needham anymore. They are covering multiple towns. And if you're covering multiple towns, you're going to cover the larger towns. So, um, you know, that's, that is the future. And don't, don't let me start railing against private equity because private equity definitely makes people a lot of money, but I, it's a very short list of companies that end up better off after private equity ownership. It's more likely they get loaded up with debt that pays off investors and then they file for bankruptcy that stiffs the creditors and they get reorganized in different ways. But it's, it's all the re- most of the retailers that are going out of business now that people blame on the Internet. Most of them have private equity ownership that, that played a part in that. So I think also, you know, uh, we, we recommended this episode of Dirty Money on Netflix, but there's multiple. This is just one episode about guardianship. There's two full seasons of this. Um, no. They examine a lot of different kinds of financial issues uh, and what's wrong with our, what's working and not working in our kind of economy and our legal system. And, and, and they're, they're fantastically done. I highly recommend it. Not just this one episode that we watch, but you know, if you want to get more educated about kind of what, where, where the holes are in our system, uh, the, this dirty money series is really valuable. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I, I hope, uh, I know we could only cover what was shown and, and some of the details around guardianship and some of the issues, but I really hope some muckraker will dig up the real story on this. And who knows, maybe maybe what was done was justified or maybe it wasn't. But either way, it's a really important story for somebody to take up. And um, if it wasn't justified, 
who was responsible. And I really hope that they, they would be prevented from doing it again, at least. So. And in the larger sense, like clearly there's something not working with the guardianship system across the state and across the country that, that clearly needs reform. And it takes, you know, years of work to get those kind of reforms enacted. But I think it is something we could start, you know, agitating for. You already wrote to Becca Rausch. You know, I wonder, you know, probably writing to Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren would also be in order. Elizabeth Warren was one of the was one of the signers on that on the thing that came out of the Senate Council of the Aging. So I know this is on her radar. Um, well, she's been, you know, from when she was at Harvard Law School all the way through as a senator, she's been outstanding on this kind of issue of finding uh, places where the market is not working, where fraud is going on, and trying to uh, yeah. change it. Yeah, boy, boy, there's a lot, a lot of fights <laughs> that she has on that front. So you know, it's um. Definitely All right. Well, on. this was episode nine of the Needham Say More podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. Maybe, hopefully, maybe we can think of a, we need to think of a happier topic for next week. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm Aaron Pressman, and uh, I am Doug Fox. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Please stay safe out there. Stay safe.